folks. I want to just drop in here before the episode and say a big thank you to everybody who is supporting the Patreon. What this means is at this point, our first goal of providing transcriptions for everybody so that people can access the podcast has been achieved. So super big thanks to everybody for that. And what that means now is we can start moving forward with the second goal for the Patreon, which is to start upping the archaic technology that I've been uh, getting this podcast done on. So please head on over to the Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash the hermit's lamp or their links in the show notes. When you sign up, you will get access to extra material such as short talks by me and going forward, extra material with the various guests that I have on, which I will not be sharing anywhere along with artwork and previews of my new tarot decks and other creations long before I share them anywhere else. So head on over and support. It's no joke. As they say, every dollar really does help. Thanks for listening. So welcome to another episode of the Hermit's Lamb podcast. Uh, today I am on the line with uh, Al Cummings. And uh, I've been following Al's work for uh, some while now. Uh, I've been no- looking at uh, his look at geomancy and I've been following some of his work on saints uh, and other things, uh, as well as a bunch of collaborative projects that he's done with uh, people who I hope will certainly be future guests of this show as well. Um, so, but in case people are just coming to this fresh and don't know who you are, Al, why don't you give us a, give us a quick introduction? Sure, sure. Hello. Uh, well, well, firstly, thank you for, for having me on. Uh, it's, it's great to get to, to finally chat to you. Um, yeah, my pleasure. Uh, my, my background is, is kind of a, 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 one of those dual forking uh, pincer movement things of uh, academic training in the history of magic, which I did through the University of Leeds and then did my doctorate at the University of Bristol under Professor Ronald Hutton about early modern uh, British magic primarily, but some wider European influences as well. It's inevitable when you're talking about Renaissance magic that you're going to bring in, you know, the big guns of Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa and things like that. So obviously there's a, there's a continental influence going on there. And my other, uh, you know, the other prong of that, of that two forked pincer movement is uh, I've been a, a practitioner uh, and a diviner and a, 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 a consultant sorcerer for a number of years. And um, I, I love the interplay of the two, uh, as I'm sure many of your listeners do as well. Uh, that false dichotomy that's often set up between um, those that just study and those that just do. And I've, I've, I've never met a serious magician who wasn't also someone who'd made a real effort to learn about his or her field and, and, and be up on the, the current academic research. Likewise, uh, in academic conferences, it's often after a couple of drinks, you know, people are a lot more... Uh, looser and more willing to talk about what they've actually tried and things like that and so i i like existing in that kind of uh, uh gray place between being both a practitioner and a, and a scholar of this stuff i think that that i mean it's kind of one of the i mean maybe it's been a plague of every era but i feel like it's especially a plague of the modern era or the, or the time in which we find ourselves Mm-hmm. this sort of duality or, or multiplicity between things you know mm. i remember i remember trying you know, i periodically go through these sort of journeys of what um what i talk about and how i talk about that sort of bridge of divination philosophy psychology you know and magic you know and right to me, they're they're indistinguishable from each other when we look at them as a whole, and we can draw lines in different places, and that can be functional. But but to me, there's no there's no division between doing a piece of magic and talking about somebody's psychology or thinking about somebody's psychology as it's involved. You know, they certainly have to be mutually exclusive. Uh, and, and, and you know, one of the things I like to riff on when we're talking about. I was asked recently at a talk whether or not I subscribed more to a spirit model or a psychological model. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I kind of did that classic attack the question thing of, uh, of, of refusing to, to ally with one or the other based off the fact that, you know, psychology, psychiatry, these are both, as far as I'm aware, 15th century French terms. It is not anachronistic for us to look at the magic of the 16th and 17th centuries 
as being something that combined an understanding that there were spirits and there was also psychology and that someone who was uh, mentally unwell uh, in some way or, or, or had an impairment of, of mental or cognitive or emotional faculties might also attract spirits uh, who might haunt them. Likewise, the devil could work through, if you read these you know, heresiographies, could work through the, the agency of, uh, of madness and induce it. And so rather than producing this very simple set of, of straw men of, of, of either it's all in your head or it's all the actions of spirits or, or energy or however you want to uh, frame your, your model of object, uh, quote unquote objective magic, uh, big heavy scare quote uh, fingers there, uh, you are inevitably bringing in an aspect of both. So one of the most famous uh, spiritual physicians, uh, kind of a cunning man, certainly an astrologer physician, uh, an angel summoner and a magician, uh, Dr. Richard Napier of the mid 17th century, who was regarded as an expert in the impairments of mental faculties. People came from a long way away uh, to work out whether, you know, and, and would ask him uh, to work out whether or not the patient was possessed, haunted uh, under the influence of witchcraft or the ministrations of the devil himself, or was physically unwell producing um, you know, brain disease symptoms or was mentally unwell after dealing with a trauma of some kind or any combination of those factors, right? Mm. These were not mutually exclusive things. And in fact, you know, often if you were suffering from one, you would probably start to develop the, the symptoms, at least, if not the, the underlying pathologies of the others as well. And so one of the ways Richard Napier worked around this was divination uh, through both uh, astrology and geomancy and also through summoning the archangel Raphael who he seems to have had a very very close relationship with and such a close relationship on the one hand people like uh, William Lilly one of the most famous astrologers of the 17th century and, and John Aubrey who was a sort of uh, fourteen of his time helped uh, repopularize Stonehenge and things like that uh, both of them visited Napier uh, relatively frequently apparently or at least several times and remarked that he you know would go and had an angel closet of some kind, which was not an uncommon way of these practitioners to do their thing, apparently, and would, you know, stand there and invoke angels for an hour or two and then go and, uh, and do, his, do his consultations. But the, the thing I like pointing out about Napier is that such was his close relationship with, with the Archangel Raphael that he would call up the medicine of God to do these kind of consults for him or these, uh, these referrals and frequently disagree with the angel's diagnosis, uh, which... Which I love. This is not someone who is uh, an iconoclast. He's not doing this to like, you know, raise a middle finger to God or anything. He was regarded as an incredibly pious practitioner. But I think that's an interesting set of relationships in terms of how to navigate a spirit uh, and psychological model and also use spirits to investigate that and to not necessarily believe everything of the signal that you are given, right? Or everything of the noise that you're given to be able to discern which parts of that seem more sensible than others. Well, I think that, I mean, there are a couple, there's, there's a bunch of things in there that you say that are really interesting, but let's, let's, let's talk about the first one first, which is, um, I think that it's, it's something that is unfortunate that it doesn't seem very common these days is this sort of capacity to differentiate or understand the distinction between what might be uh, spirit purely. I mean, as you say, it's a muddle, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what parts of it or in what ways might we, we be able to discern? Is this a, a spirit caused situation? Is right. this a psychiatric caused, you know, or, or mm -hmm. all these other models that you talked about, you know, and, it's one of those things where I remember working with uh, clients and sort of receiving instructions from the spirits that I work with about how to, how to interpret what I see as their energy mm -hmm. and point between these different pieces, right? Mm -hmm. Who have this certain kind of energy pattern. Um, you know, they, they would, they would more often than not have this sort of more psychiatric issues or so on. Yeah. Unless, Unless they were like super hardcore meditators and really, really evolved, at hmm. which point those patterns would kind of merge, you know, which was very, was very interesting to me. You know? That's it, fascinating. There might be ways in which people had, um, you know, like people talk about premature Kundalini awakenings or you know, other hmm. kinds of things that, that there are these states that might be helpful later on. Hmm. 
but which when they emerge unbidden or they emerge alongside other kinds of things has caused tremendous problems, you know? Right. And that's interesting from a perspective of uh, a consultant and a diviner for someone and for clients, especially where, you know, you have, you have identified the pattern of energies at work. It's now often I find your job to, to find a way that that's useful. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I think is, you know, or, or it, it, sometimes the useful thing is to say that would be a decision that would end in rack and ruin. Uh, it, it, it doesn't look like it's going to help you. Right. Or it's, uh, I mean, I read with, with, with geomancy very often for clients. So I primarily read uh, playing cards and geomancy these days. And there are figures that can fall that portray danger, uh, deceit, um, the potential for addictive behaviors and a variety of other overly impassioned um, vice kind of like uh, uh, problems. And it's the, the figure is, is rubious and, and refers to the spilling of blood. It's, it's considered bad for all things except uh, that which requires bloodshed. Now that means from a, a medieval early modern perspective, it was good for phlebotomy uh, and it would, could occasionally be useful for voiding ill humors through that bloodletting stuff. And there are kind of some equivalences that you can find uh, like nowadays, uh, other kinds of, it can, it can recommend going to see your doctor, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But finding a way for Rubius to, to do something useful in a chart, uh, if, it's, if it's spilling something, uh, you know, I have before now, uh, found myself having to take a bottle of red wine to a crossroads and upend that as a means of like placating a, a, a spirit or working through a set of very martial uh, energies and, and workings for that to be useful. That, that, that set of virtues, that pattern was, was present once the divination confirmed it. And especially with the attendant spirit contact around it, it was also bringing that thing in. Right. And so finding a way that that's useful in some way to be either the thing that is subject to it or the thing that is enacting it in the world, finding a way for that, that violence in this case to be useful in some way to break an old pattern or to, you know, stand up to someone or any number of those other things. So when people come to you for a geomancy reading, are they, are they people who are going about their lives and are just inclined towards divination or do you find that it's people who are sort of inclined towards more, for lack of a better word, sort of uh, esoteric or kind of mm. cult and philosophical kind of, you know, approaches to life already. Yeah, I wonder that myself sometimes. I think a materialist overculture, if I can, you know, briefly jump on a soapbox, uh, produces a, a, a statistical slide towards people who are already aware of magic and that, you know, think it's worth paying a professional to divine for them. So often there's someone with some kind of, uh, practice or some kind of uh, set of beliefs or even just, you know, have have witnessed things happening or have had experiences that lead them to suggest that there's, there's, that there's something valid for them in this. I get a range of people. I get some people who are, you know, some of my clients are, you know, classic people seeking divination at a crossroads in their life, you know, recently um, divorced or wanting to change career or wanting to do something different at that crossroads. I also work with a lot of artists uh, and event coordinators and things like that to plan events and ritual and ceremony and, and works of art as well. And it's something that I like to point out to people who are new to the idea of, uh, of a professional diviner or consultant being someone that would be useful to have on board a project, which is that this doesn't have to be in, in much the same way that other uh, magicians talk about magical work doesn't have to be triage doesn't have to be oh god oh god oh god emergency emergency i need to you know pay my rent or something those are valid things sure. to get to get hit up about and to need to deal with uh but so much better is prevention than cure right uh well it, you know i mean not to say that we might not find ourselves in a, in a martial sign that requires some kind of uh, bloodletting or other kind of <laughs> you know easing but yeah but if we're on top of it on the regular right you know when the thermometer starts to rise we can deal with it then before it kind of gets too high right yeah 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 and so you know i, I find divination and consultation uh something that i end up doing for for people who are not necessarily uh looking to massively 
change their lives as much as enrich them, right? It's not just people who are unhappy and it's certainly not just people who are desperate, uh, which I think yeah. is also a little kind of, um, it's a bugbear of mine that, that the idea that you would only ever consult, you know, a card reader or, or a professional astrologer if you were like desperate in some way. And I think that's a, that's a very unfair characterization of people. Most, you know, the, the vast majority of my clients are people who take their divination very seriously, uh, who uh, employ it in a very mature and responsible manner in order to have better to, to rather than abnegate responsibility, to take that responsibility on more. And that's, you know, the role of a, of a diviner, right? Is someone that can help someone chart the hauling coherence of influences around them and empower them further to be able to make better decisions and live their, their better life, right? Um, especially, I mean, to, to kind of come full circle here, if the people are dealing with a, a, a muddle of unknown um, problems and consequences, hmm. you know, from spirits to, to mental health, to physical health, to whatever, hmm. you know, have, being able to sort that out, if the person is willing to take ownership of that and work with it and, and hmm. go from there, I mean, that can be one of the most profound things ever, right? Be, you know? Absolutely. You can remove the spiritual influence and then what you're left with, you know, while still no small thing is then adjustable by other realms, you know, or other practices. Yeah. You know, it's really, it's quite wonderful, you know, and, and sometimes knowing even just, you know, uh, knowing that it's in fact, none of those, it's like, Hey, you know what? This is not a spiritual thing. Right. Go back for this. You're good. You know? Yeah. yeah. Mean, that, that in itself is quite a, quite a liberation because it, it gives an answer, even if it's, you know, even if the, then, then it leaves other questions, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's also, you know, one of the things about divination as diagnostic technique is that it's bespoke, right? It's for that individual at that particular time in their lives with these particular choices and influences and patterns of virtue around them. Right. So it's, it's, it's by necessity, a site specific, time specific, person specific thing. It deals with, there is a, a ritual that is going on between diviner and client there. You are locating the client as a locus about which the, the, these, these forces are, are present, right? And, and in naming them, we are also kind of uh, bringing them to the light in some way and apprehending them in some way. Uh, and, and that hopefully becomes useful as well. And this is especially useful when diagnosis uh, becomes not just prognosis, but also an attempt at treatment and remediation magically speaking, which is something I think is very important is not just telling someone this is the nature of your circumstances and conditions. Good luck with that <laughs> and signing out so much as saying, okay, well, you know, this is the, this is the difficulty in your career path at the moment. Let's see whether we can boost the positive influences that say that, yes, there is a, there is a, a path for you in this career, for instance, for that kind of question. Uh, and also let us try and address this issue here in the 10th house with your current boss, who is clearly attempting to undermine you in some way, right? So you can look at both the, the negative factors and attempt to uh, rebalance them or address them or secure the positive factors of a reading as well. And I think it's very easy for us to jump immediately on our, you know, cleansing baths and things like that when a reading comes up negatively and, and, and as well we should, but to kind of, uh, not think we need to do anything if a reading suggests that there is a good path ahead. And something I, I you know, I, I sometimes recommend is, you know, if you, if you get a really great reading, you should, you should secure that in some way, right? You should, you should nail that thing down and like yeah. keep that good luck in your pocket in some way. Well, it's like in, um, Kaurishal divination and sort of the divinations within the Orisha traditions, right? And they say that, um, the Ire, the, the, the form of blessing that can arise, Mm -hmm. that, that it is um that it can be tremendously fleeting right and right. That in fact you know when we when we see that come when we see that there are blessings um and especially if they're sort of predicted firmly and there's nothing else to do about it well the thing to do about it is still to be like diligent and tend it and pay attention yes. to it and and you know and maybe make offerings even though they weren't specifically asked for or yes. you know, to do things to really uh hold that and sustain that because you know it can turn negativity so simply and so easily and then it's very hard to get it back where it was before you yeah know? so it's is this this notion that uh success is is permanent or solid is you know 
seems really kind of dubious to me at best, you know? Right. It's not this carrot that gets dangled in front of you that says, if, you know, you just put in another five years at something you don't like, then eventually you will have made it. And that will be the solid state, unending success of a, of a pre-death bliss, right? It's, it's, it's a nonsense. Yeah. We, we, we constantly have to fight for our, our blessings and to secure them and, you know, what was the, what was that beautiful, uh, obviously it was terribly sad that Ursula Le Guin passed recently, but it did mean that people were sharing a lot of her work and her quotes. And, uh, that one about, um, love, uh, seems particularly relevant here. Love does not sit there like a stone. It must be remade constantly like bread, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of, of constantly having to keep up, um, the good, the good things, the, the effort yeah. to, to enjoy the things in life and to enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it never it never ends, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, eventually <laughs> it ends, but then it really ends. <laughs> so the other thing that you mentioned earlier in the when we were talking was this idea of uh, of arguing with spirits. You know, <laughs> right. this, uh, person who would argue with the, uh, you know, with with, uh, with the angels and so on, right? And and I I think that I think that it's such an important thing for people to consider right you know like especially you know i mean whether we're talking about ancestors or whether we're talking about angels or you know anything else or in between or or wherever other ways you know it's i think that sort of being being open to to wrestling with them about things and you know tussling out what is what is true or what's the real deal, you know? And I don't, and I don't mean like in the goetic way, like, no, I'm not going to give you that. I'm only going to give you this. Mm-hmm. Don't take advantage <laughs> of me, but just, you know, I, I, I know that there are times, you know, in like spiritual masses or with one of my guides in particular, where she'll come down with a message. And I'm like, dude, I'm not saying that. There's no way I'm saying it that way. You know? Right. right. And, uh, and, and, and yet people, I think that, you know, there's lots of lots of ways in which people believe that they should, uh, you know, pass this along as like a pure testament of truth or you know, right. unequivocal gold of the situation, right? Yeah, being the idea that being a channel for spirit means that you don't have to worry about tact or bedside manner or you know offending people that that you are speaking a, a profound and unquestionable universal truth. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm obviously a bit dubious of that, especially in, in divination. Certainly, I, I, I can share the uh, the experience of uh, of having a, a a familiar spirit that helps me divine, that says things in my ear in ways that I definitely wouldn't say to a client. Uh, uh, very uh, blunt, shall we say, if not mean, occasionally. Yeah, it you know, you know also savagely accurate uh, to to her credit. But, uh, but yes, so, so the, that again is a, is a job of a diviner, right? To, to demonstrate that tact and that clarity that allows the best way for the medicine to be administered, right? The medicine of the, of the consultation, the medicine of the, the regimen that might emerge from that, the, 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 the story medicine of like, this is how your current situation looks, the potential medicines of this is what you could do about it. And again, to, to evangelize about geomancy, for instance, one of the things that we can do is not just look at the, the client or the person asking the question, the querent in the first house. We can also look to a couple of different houses, depending on the exact nature of the context of the, of the consultation, for how the diviner, how you are being perceived. And crucially, through those two things, you can then work out one of the best ways you can look at how the client will take your advice. You can look at how you can phrase it, you know, and, and so you can read a chart and have attendant, you know, uh, spirit guides saying you're going to need to phrase this very gently. This client is, is not going to be able to take you, you know, speaking plainly about this thing. Likewise, sometimes it's clear that you, you have to be incredibly blunt and that that's what will be most useful. And if you aren't, then the client will, will jump on the one detail that they wanted to hear and ignore the other ones. Uh, and that's, that's a, that's a, that is in part, that's, it's, it's very easy to complain about back, like quote unquote bad clients, but that's also something that I think diviners need to take a little bit of responsibility for. It's not just your job to plonk a message down in front of someone. It's also your job to, I think, help them unpack it and make it 
available and and useful and something that they can actually apprehend and engage with yeah i also think that it's uh it can be part of the job of being a professional diviner to um sort out and be clear with yourself who who do you not work well with right right right. you know who do you just not like who do you not like who what situations do you not want to you know deal with right like where where are your strengths and weaknesses you know Mm. um and not not in a like you know, a mean spirit or even judgmental way, but like, you know, there are certain kinds of situations where for whatever reasons, I have no slack for that. And if right. a person comes up with that, I'm, you know, I might read for them, but I'm definitely not going to get magically involved in it because my, my attention and my energy doesn't flow well in, in mm-hmm. those because of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think that we as diviners can take way more agency in the process than, than I sometimes see people taking, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, I think so. Hmm. So the other thing that I want to ask you about, though, I know the, the thing that I was curious about that's been sort of on my mind of, of what we would get to when, I, you know, when we were on the show <laughs> was, so there's this great big revival in my, from what I see of working with saints these days. Hmm. You know, and I see like lots of people in the, various spiritual and occult communities kind of um, going back to working with saints and having a a magical relationship with them and those kinds of things. And, you know, you're definitely one of the people out there doing that work, right? Mm -hmm. Were were the saints always your companions or or some saints? Was it a thing that you rediscovered? How how did that happen for you? Hmm. Uh, Well, hmm. That's a great question. I did not grow up uh, practicing Catholic. Uh, my family are Irish Catholic by, uh, by, <laughs> by birth lottery, as they yeah. would put it. Uh, and certainly in my house, uh, my folks are these days kind of agnostic, but certainly uh, when I was uh, growing up, uh, fiercely, devoutly uh, socialists, uh, atheists. Uh, but as a, as, as, a, as a result of the kind of... Um, uh, family that I grew up in, we would be taken around an awful lot of churches and historical houses and, 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 and manor houses and national trust properties and that kind of thing. Uh, partly so that my father could sit there and, and or stand there and ask, you know, how many workers do you think died to build this structure? Okay. Um, so my, 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 my early engagement with high churches and that kind of stuff was very much a sense of like, there are a lot of dead people uh, underlying this thing that still exists. And that mm-hmm. certainly, I think, still informed how I approach saint work in terms of, or saint devotion, I should say, really, in terms of how long it's been an active part of my practice. Um, well, certainly learning from my great-grandmother before she passed that there was a, a set of Irish naming traditions in the family, that there was a particular reason why <laughs> my, your middle name is Joseph Al because you're named after your uncle Harry, whose middle name was also Joseph uh, is a, is an example of this kind of thing that was, that was done. Uh, it's like the whole idea of firstborn will be called this secondborn will be this third one with this. But then we also include what happens when they aren't all male and, and, and a variety of other circumstances. So there were naming traditions I discovered and in attempting to understand my great grandmother, who was a, a remarkable woman, uh, in terms of being a tiny little old Irish Catholic lady. Uh, we no idea exactly how old she was. She, uh, her father bribed the um, village clerk to lie about her age so that she could come over to England and train as a nurse earlier. So we're not entirely sure how old she was. Uh, but she was a devout um, Irish Catholic, uh, set the table for... Um, uh, dead relatives occasionally certainly spoke about them like they were there uh, and also taught pranayama yoga for about 45, 50 years. I was a very early adopter of that in, in Wolverhampton in the, in the UK. Uh, so she was an, she was an, uh, an, an interesting and odd lady. And, and so certainly trying to understand her through her, her, pra- her these two practices of, of like a, you know, a, a rich, dense energy kind of work and breath work stuff and all the things that pranayama is. And, and this, this intense devotion, you know, she would, she would talk about, you know, I'd, I'd ask her, how do you, how do you square these things? And she'd say, well, I just don't tell the priest. <laughs> it's not his business. 
I, I, I make sure I'm doing my breathing next to a pillar. So if I do pass out, then, I, you know, I won't, I won't cause a fuss. Uh-huh. And I do you wake up well. eventually, so it'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, I see a sanctifying mass and this, you know, this opening effect of that. And I want to be as receptive as I can to that. So I open myself up as much as I can. And then I zip myself back up and I, I go about my day. Uh, and so that was very inspiring to me. Uh, and my, my earliest sort of set of actually practicing things rather than just reading Crowley or, or whatever else was, uh, was chaos magic. And so that idea of, of, of not, it, it not all having to fit into one cosmology that you could do several things and that, that, you know, it, there wasn't even a negative capability of that, that you could, you could have a practice. You could, ha- you could be a, a, a Catholic who did pranayama. Obviously you can do those things. Um, mm-hmm. but the, the idea of mixing spiritual uh, traditions or at least parallel practice of them uh was was an influence i think the first set of things that i ended up doing more formally in terms of what felt like magic rather than what just felt like you know going to a saint stephen's church and you know enjoying the peace and quiet and and and, and taking on that the aspect of um of seeking uh, calm and that kind of thing. The first sort of work that was like, all right, I have this Satan in front of me and these incenses and, a, and an intention that I'm trying to work a spell with them was, uh, was Cyprian. I, I went on a little pilgrimage to uh, a particularly uh, famous uh, hoodoo candle store in California um, and came in and was um, just beginning my, my doctorate. And so asked, you know, what would you advise of the of the the owner what would you advise that i take on uh in terms of uh, a candle or uh, a spell you know i wasn't looking for i wasn't shopping around for a patron uh, i was just wanting to work a particular thing uh, you know a, an academic success kind of ongoing working and you know she asked well what what is it that you're doing what what's the nature of this research and after i'm telling her it's about the history of magic uh, she's just, you know, well, obviously you should be buying this Cyprian candle and uh, this is how you can work it and fixed it in front of me and showed me some of the bits and pieces and sold me a couple of other things as well. But that was the start of a, yeah, a, a, a relationship that's only deepened where um, I, yeah, my, and a variety of things occurred after that. Again, saint work is very tied to ancestor work for me and certainly the, the dreams I had after I started working with Cyprian of uh, ancestors coming to me, you know, proud that I was finally working with a, with a nice Catholic saint, uh, <laughs> despite his hideous reputation and, uh-huh. and, and, and rightly, you know, and justifiably so, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, he's not necessarily someone whose uh, earlier history or career is particularly um, admirable or, or something that you would want to want to repeat in terms of, you know, selling the equivalent of roofies. Uh, but nevertheless, they were, they were delighted that I was even engaging with this stuff at all on a more formal level. And that for me was one of the big, along with the fact that, you know, when I took things to him, they worked out the way I wanted them to, or they worked out for my benefit, uh, along with offering me a set of challenges of things to work on, of things to work through, was also how it bolstered my uh, connection to my ancestors. And... And I find it it interesting how, um, I mean, so there's the baseline layer, like, you know, Hey, I need more money or, Hey, I want success at my, you know, in my academic career or, Uh you know, I'm hoping to have a baby or whatever the things are that people, you know, want and need that they go to saints for. But at the same time, I feel like you, you really kind of hit on something there, which, which is sort of the, the unexpected second level of that process, which is, you know, you go to them and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Give me a candle and I'll do this thing for you. No problem. Right. But if you stick around with them for a while, then they start like working on you. Right. Mm-hmm. They start, they start tinkering with, with you in a way to bring out some kind of uh, evolution or change or growth or, yeah. you know, it's, it's certainly been my experience. Right. Yeah. And I think this is especially the case when you start taking on a saint, not just as someone that helps you in a particular aspect of your life, but as a, as a patron of your, arguably your, your main career or, or even of, of all of your magic. And that's certainly Cyprian is one of those for me is, is, is someone I go to 
for any work I do uh, for a client or for myself. And when you allow a patron to, when you allow yourself space in the container to allow a patron to, 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 to hold space for helping you make decisions about things that aren't just, you know, oh, this is the saint I go to for money work, right? If you have a relationship with that saint in, in other aspects of your life, if you're going to them about like, you know, asking for the, the clarity to be able to make an act, you know, a useful decision about, you know, uh, a, a, a new relationship that's just started or something like that. You're giving them more space to be able to help you, right? You're, you're opening up more roads. If you want to phrase it like that for them to, for them to, like you say, start working on you in, in ways. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a, I think it's a very, I think it's fascinating and a powerful way to go. And I think it's really helpful. Um, and I also noticed that a lot of people, are very uncomfortable with being that open with spirits hmm. and with having that level of dialogue about yeah. everything that's going on in their life with spirits. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, you know, I mean, there can be a, a very sort of transactional, you know, relationship that people have, like, I'll give you this, you give me that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if it's relational, um, there's this sort of, you know, I don't know if it's a legacy of parenting issues in the West or whatever, but I, <laughs> you know, there's a sort of uh, well, you know what? But yeah, yeah, but they don't get to tell me how to live my life, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Do yeah, they? Yeah. Do they? Do they not? Is that what's going on? Like, I think about that with the Orishas, right? Do they? Do they tell me how to live my life? Not in the way people mean it, right? Mm. But certainly in a way that most people would be relatively uncomfortable with. I'm going to hear their advice and and do my best to live it all the time because the space in the container that I have with them allows for that and allows and, and makes things happen that otherwise would never happen separately. You know, if I was right. stuck in my, in my head or my sense of self too strongly. Yeah. 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 For sure. And being able to discern what your head uh, is wanting and what, what is useful for your, for your life path is some, is some deep stuff, right. And it's going to require a different engagement than, you know, how do I solve this current immediate problem? Right. How do, how do I, how do I live my best life is, is a different question and, and requires, a, a, yeah, my experience of being involved for a couple of years in, in Lukumi Arisha worship is that, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very different ball game in terms of, you know, it's a it's an an established tradition with an actual priestcraft of actual work and learning, uh, and that's not to say that other traditions don't also have those things. But the level of commitment and of taking on a good advice and attempting to live it every day, right, is a really important thing and something that other traditions, when they do well, do very well as well. But that 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 if we're talking Arisha, that's uh, been certainly my experience is that uh, that closeness is also, you know, rewarded with the the calm and the coolness and the development of good character that we're that we're attempting to achieve to to leave the marketplace of the world in a better place than it was when we got here before we go back home to heaven. Yeah, well, and I also think that like it's also interesting that you know again it's sort of part of the you know legacy of of modern thinking in some ways um you know this sort of idea that you know a saint or spirit might only kind of govern one limited aspect and while i think that that's certainly true of certain classes of spirits that their spectrum of influence or their from a human point of view is is limited and we might want to keep it there sure you know this this sort of relationships with saints and things like that you know this idea that you could be open to messages that are not necessarily within their you know official textbook definition wheelhouse right is also very fascinating you know i um i i started working with uh saint expedite uh, Mm -hmm. a long time ago um that's kind of part of my bridge from ceremonial stuff into uh, African diasporic traditions um, as, as a sort of, you know, a syncretism for other spirits. And then, 
when I when I finally sort of landed in my Orisha tradition and sort of removed all my my stepping stones that had gotten me there, Saint <laughs> was the only one who stayed. You know, hmm. and he was like, "No, no, dude, I'm I'm not leaving. <laughs> I'm I'm with you now." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I didn't I didn't quite catch that distinction as it was going on, hmm. and then, um, but but by way of sort of the the differences, you know, he sort of wasn't wasn't prominent wasn't really working with him for like 15 years or something like that just had had my pieces tucked away amongst my my relics of of other times and things that i don't do much of anymore mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden i came across this painting i had done of him and he was like dude i'm out you gotta put me out now is <laughs> it and when and the messages that i got from him were all about my artwork and not about sort of ceremony and spirits or working with the dead or, you know, other things like that. Huh. And so it was this very interesting thing where he came forward with this message that is not, not entirely incongruous with, with his nature per se, but certainly not where, where I would think to start with, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, I'm sitting here looking at him as we're talking and he's <laughs> kind of, kind of nodding his head and being like, that's right, dude, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's beautiful. The idea of uh, some, particular aspect of your life that they would manifest their advice and their power in that isn't, you know, that you're not going to read in, in, in some, you know, uh, in, in some encyclopedia of saints or, or the golden legend or, or some Botanica uh, pamphlet, that that's something yeah. that you've, you've come to yourself. It reminds me of the way people sometimes talk about plant allies as well. And I think this is a, a wider aspect of what we mean by spirit patronage, right? That that spirit might be, uh, you know, you, you, you might get on famously and become, you know, fast friends and that that plant might then be willing to work in ways that, again, aren't in, uh, you know, aren't in the encyclopedias of, of spell, of, of, of herb magic or, or, you know, or Cunningham or, or, or any of those other things isn't keyworded that like this plant that you work with every day and consider a patron of your, your green craft and of your life in general uh, would be, would do a thing that, uh, might be unusual, you know, might be added to a, a bath or a, a, a charm bag or something that wasn't typically uh, included in that kind of thing. That's certainly a relationship I have with uh, Rosemary, where uh, beyond its, you know, its noted capacity for memory and, uh, you know, its, its necromantic value and its purifying and aspurging uses, um, I have in the past had... Uh, definite spirit contact to say you should include me in this bath for, you know, something completely different uh, because I am one of your, uh, you know, because I want to be involved in this and I can further empower it and confirming that through divination as well, which I think is, is also something that gets uh, underreported is that again, spirit contact and uh, non-rational ways of knowing and, and, and spirit communication can also be facilitated by computational divination. You know, you can still throw your, your sticks, your, your, your shells, your, your, your things to confirm that that is the spirit saying that thing. And it's not either you or some other spirit or, uh, you know, some other option of things. And so in confirming that, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was putting uh, Rosemary in, in everything for a while uh, sure. be- because it was standing up and saying like, yeah, I can do this too. I can do this too. Yep. I can do this too. Yep. I've had a similar experience with um, Burdock. Hmm. You know, where, where people, especially with sending people to work with it, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, here in, here in Toronto, it's, uh, it's prevalent everywhere at a certain point in the year, mm-hmm. you know, it just it takes over everything, and, you know, and, you know, the, 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 that energy will be like, yeah, tell them, tell them to come and collect some of this part of me and do this thing with it and I'll, nice. and I'll help them in this way. Or, you know, I remember somebody was like, somebody had to like, when he was trying to let go of some childhood stuff and, and the, the, the plant basically came in and said, yeah, tell them to come and find the biggest one around and dig up my whole root. And when they're done, they'll be healed. And it took them wow. a long time, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. big and spreading. Um, but it was profound and it was transformative for that person by their report. So right. yeah, there are right. many ways in which that can happen. But also, as you say, that um, – verifying it you know whether whatever your divination tools for your verification or checking with a spirit that you have more more concrete mechanisms with or whatever i think that yeah. that's so important because you know this sort of 
free will and idea that I can just sort of intuit anything and that could be the answer. It's like, well, eh, maybe, mm-hmm. possibly, but you know, I, I get very uh, twitchy about that at times because stuff starts to come out, you know, where it's like, well, yeah, but you know what? That's actually not a good idea in these other ways, or this is right. kind of toxic or kind of, you know? Yeah. And that's so, where, that's where exactly, exactly. And that's where, uh, using a divination technique that is definite, that is computational, that is like, no, that card says this thing isn't like, a, you know, a, f- a fudge isn't like a coin on its side, but also computational, but also that provides qualified answers. So not just flipping a coin of like, yes or no, is this what the spirit said, but allow, but, you know, a three card uh, throw that allows for, you know, two reds and a, and, a, and a black meaning yes, but right. Or two blacks and a red meaning no, but right. Which allows not just the confirmation of the thing that you think you're receiving, but also allows the spirit to give you extra information as well to say, yes, you heard me right about that stuff, but you also need to check this other thing that you haven't checked or no, that's not what I said, but you are on the right track in terms of this direction. It's not just, it's not just about a gatekeeping of like which images and which contact gets in and which doesn't, but also you are, continually negotiating and allowing yourself to have more space to hear uh, a, 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 a more nuanced transmission. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the idea of developing nuance is just so, so important, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever, whatever divination tool you're looking at, you know, um, I think that this idea that we could sort of, have a, you know, in the same way, it's the same exact same way as we're talking about the saints, right? When you have a real relationship with your divination system, it's conveying information that goes well beyond, you know, yes or no, or even kind of like, yeah, it's pretty good or not good. There are so many other pieces that start to emerge from the practice and the getting to know those things that yeah. then facilitate the shaping of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, that's, that can be a sign that you're making deeper engagement with a, with a saint is when they start coming out with stuff that you, you haven't read somewhere, right. That you, that you haven't, uh, and that's not licensed for everyone to be, you know, oh, well, I, I dress expedite in pink and, you know, I, 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 I never offer in pound cake and that's not an excuse to throw away tradition, but that is a sign where if you're working respectfully, most traditions have a notion that like there's going to be idiosyncrasies there's going to be particularities and and personalizations both in terms of how this, the spirit works with you and how you work with the spirit mm-hmm. right and yeah. most variations by geography and culture right? absolutely absolutely yeah because i grew up uh with nothing religiously you know like nobody nobody considered it nobody was for it nobody was against it you know, people were sort of like vaguely, slightly, a little bit mystic at times, but there was kind of nothing. <laughs> you know? and so like the first time I remember going to church was when I was like 11 and my parents had gotten, had separated and we lived in a small town and my mom was trying to find some community. So we went to the Anglican church, but you know, I, I, I didn't have any connection to any of those things. Mm. So, you know, and, and never mind if I was from like a totally different culture than sort of a Western culture or something else and engaging with this. You know, yeah. It might just be like, you know what? You don't, you don't have pound cake, but you got this other thing that I'll take. That looks good. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. And this is especially the case when you're looking at uh, quote unquote folk practices, you know, what, what, what people who weren't rich did and continue to do in many parts of the world that, you know, that San Rocco, that St. Roche isn't, you know, doesn't behave like the one four villages down. You know, one of them is more about warding off plague because he warded off a plague once or, or several times, right? Yeah. And the other might be more about bringing in the harvest because that's, you know, what that, that's, the, that's the famine that he uh, uh, avoided by being petitioned, right? And yeah. successfully performed a miracle. And so the, yeah, that, that, that terroir of spirit work, that sense that like this particular place dealt with, either this aspect of that spirit that was called the same thing that, it, that they call it down the road or, or a different spirit sharing that name or, or however it ends up shaking out, you know, whatever your, um, your, your, your ontology of the situation seems to suggest that's super important. Yeah. That there isn't, you're not necessarily dealing with a right, a wrong way 
of working with them so much as a different way. Um, but that again is not something that emerges from just wandering through, you know, reading 777 and deciding that you're going to cook up a bunch of stuff right over a nice cup of tea. Uh, that's the result of, uh, many hands working for a very long time and requiring something done about an immediate danger. And certainly I'm thinking of, of San Rocco in, 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 in Southern Italy, you know, because mm-hmm. if now, the state don't work, it gets, it gets thrown in the sea or, yeah, sure, right? or, or put in front of the volcano. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's always an, an interesting thing to consider, right? I mean, we can make a, 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 you know, a thought form or whatever we would call it. We can create spiritual energies to accomplish certain things, but uh, you know, this sort of depth and the, the history of energy prayer offering, and, you know, and kind of the lineage of different places, you know, like the, the saint in that village versus the saint in this village. Right. You know, I mean, I think that those uh, create, create something very different over time, you know, and whether that all comes from the same source or whatever we choose to believe that that is another matter, but, right, right. but this sort of idea that, um, that if we're going to work with somebody in a certain way, like if we want St. Rocco to do this, this thing versus that thing, that we might want to take, a bit more of that other town's approach or, you know, see what are the differences in practices that might help call that energy out in that way. For sure. Right? For sure. Know, not, un- not unlike uh, singing certain songs in the Orisha tradition or, you know, playing certain beats or making certain offerings bring out different faces of the spirits, right? Mm. You know, um, the, there are the ways in which the way in which we approach them and what we give them is also part of their process and channel of manifesting that opens up these different capacities in, in a different way you know right and crucially you're dealing with diaspora as well you're dealing with how does a, a tradition or a set of traditions try and remember not just its own thing but remember the the traditions of of, of their brothers and sisters right who, who are you know no longer can sometimes no longer remember where it is they're from right mm-hmm. and 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 that's a really important thing is it isn't just you know oh well you know the uh, I don't know, fatuous example, the, you know, oh, the Allegra of like Brooklyn, uh, you know, doesn't receive toasted corn. He, he, he asks for like perhaps blue ribbon or whatever. Right. Uh, uh, this isn't something that you can just like decide or, 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 or you know, think you've had an experience out at, without confirming any of this with any of the initiated priests of that tradition. Right. Likewise, uh, you know, the, the, the diaspora of say, again, to continue that, that, that example, because uh, it's one I'm, I'm more familiar with through the, the work of my wife in Italian folk magic of San Rocco in, 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 in South Italy. There are different expressions of him in the new world. You know, there's a very long running uh, procession uh, through, through New York's Little Italy. Um, that's one of the most celebratory uh, saint uh, festivals I've ever been to uh, over here. Sometimes uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, you, you've had similar experiences that even a saint that is considered, you know, holy and, and, and happy uh, has a kind of somberness, especially when we're celebrating their martyrdom. Uh, whereas, uh, yeah, the, the San Rocco Festival in, in New York is, is, is a joy. There are confetti cannons. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's delightful. And, but it's also very reverent. You know, the, the, certainly the, the central uh, confraternity do it barefoot and, you know, make a real effort that it's a community event and those kinds of things. And, that's where modifications come in as well. That's where traditions develop and grow and live and breathe and stretch is in actually interacting with a, with a new land and with different communities and, and, and kinds of people. And uh, those, those are where like, oh, we couldn't get this kind of wine, so we got this other kind of wine. Those kinds of things, things like substitutions, as I understand it, start to come in. But it's something that occurs from within stretching out. It's not something that's, that can be, you know, uh, with that etic emic thing it's not it's not something that an outsider can then take something of uh and and claim the, anything like the same sort of lineage and the same kind of uh, uh, uh oomph the same kind of ashe the same kind of virtue or grace moving through that thing we can't we can't claim substitutions because it's hard to get that thing or whatever right right you know i mean they they, they only really take off when you know when it's required but I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, and everybody else listening, 
if there's ever a procession for me, I would like it to uh, to have confetti cannons. For sure. <laughs> uh, that definitely is a part of a cult that I would like to found. So let's uh, <laughs> let's make that happen somehow. <laughs> for sure, good to good to stick around and be useful. Yeah, yeah, that's well, awesome. Um, so we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, but sure. I also wanted to touch on um, your new book, which is out. Yes. Yes. So um, the three magi. Right. Why? Tell tell me tell tell people tell me why what what is it about them that draws you? Why why did you write this book? Where did it come from? It came from that's, that's an amazing question. There are a couple of things. Uh, one is that I have a a very central part of my practice that is about working with dead magicians and working with the attendant spirits around them. Um, and a kind of necromancy of necromancy, if we want to put it like that, um, from specific techniques to a kind of lineage ancestor uh, sense from the fact that my doctorate was handed to me by handshake by someone who had hands laid on them, who had hands laid on them back to the, the founding of the, 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 the charter and having a sense of that um, uh, the spiritual lineage of, of, of academic doctors and in studying the dead magicians of the 17th century, for instance, uh, and how they were interested in, um, in, in say Elias Ashmole interested in, in forming this kind of lineage of English magic that feels a little bit Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell at times, uh, to be honest. Sure. So, so I've been interested in dead magicians for a while and had found them kind of turning up in my practice and helping me uh, do my, do my history of them. You know, they, they were very invested in, in how they were being portrayed, uh, funnily enough. And the Magi became a, a locus, a way in which I, as someone that wasn't necessarily, um, certainly from the outside, looking like I was living a terribly good, pious, early modern Christian life, could be talking to these Christian magicians. Uh, it was a way of framing where we all appreciate the Magi, right? Who are both, and that's that's another fascinating point, like... Uh, Cyprian, you know, arguably more so than Cyprian, they're both Christian and not, right? They are the first Gentiles to make this pilgrimage. They're utterly essential to the, the, the nativity narrative. They're also, uh, cate- you know, they're also categorically astrologers and, and probably Babylonian and drawing on a variety of older traditions, uh, certainly around um, Alexander the Great and his um, invasions uh, into um, various different regions mirror some of the the kinds of mythic beats of their story of the magi story mm-hmm. so there was this sense of i was already working with with dead magicians i was interested in the role of magic in the traditions and 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 saint devotion and things that i was already exploring and i i've always been attracted to liminal uh spirits and found working with them very helpful the ones that exist on a on a threshold between things the the cemetery gates uh, the the wall between two things, uh, the, the 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 border crosses, if you like, and their unique status as a cult is also uh, interesting as well. In that, by the 14th century, certainly they are considered saints. You know, Saint Casper, Saint Melchior, and Saint Balthazar. But um, they're also utterly important to that tradition, but kind of outside of it, but also legitimizing it. And certainly, this is how their cult played out from the vast popularity of, of their pilgrimage site in Cologne, which became one of the, the four major hubs of, of pilgrimage, which was a big deal, right, in the medieval period, mm-hmm. into the, the, the exploration into the so-called New World, where, again, the, the kings were employed by both colonizers. Uh, there was a concept of pre-conquest evangelization, the idea that the, message, the good message of, of the Nazarene had extended to the quote-unquote savages of the Americas, which is why the Mayans had crosses, supposedly, uh, that they had civilizations, so they must know about uh, about Christianity because that's the only uh, civilization that builds, uh, you know, that's the only culture that could that could allow a civilization to occur. And so this frames the conquest of the New World as, again, the quote-unquote New World, as a matter of reminding people that they were already Christian. And one of the ways that this was done was to tell uh, colonized people that one of the kings who came from afar was from them and that thus their king had already 
acquiesced to the will of 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 you know these 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 white colonizers or these you know uh, these these european colonizers but in doing that they also allowed colonized and sometimes actually enslaved people a sense of like autonomy that they had a magician king ancestor that even though that was being annexed on the one hand it was also it also fomented political dissent and so that notion of a powerful uh and and politically ambiguous set of figures became really really interesting to me um it also you know in terms of personal anecdotes it, they also became more significant when i moved to bristol and i was touring as a a, a performance poet and a, and a consultant magician and diviner and i was getting the i was getting cheap transport a lot because i was also a student and I was getting the Megabus, if you're familiar with that, and it stopped just outside of one of the only chapels dedicated to the Three Kings in Europe, which happens to be in Bristol. And so I would see them every day as I was setting out on a journey. And so I started looking for them in, in grimoires and finding that most of the spells that uh, are considered under their aegis or, or, uh, or their patronage are works of safe travel, right? Are works of, um, uh, of journeying, right? Of going... Yeah. Of, of, of adoring and then returning via a different way, right? Mm-hmm. And that model has, has, has greatly inspired me, I mean, directly in terms of the, the work I was doing, working with the land I had and the places I had and the, the opportunities I had to make quick offerings when I needed to, you know, make sure I, I, was, I was nursing a nasty hangover on a five-hour journey up to, you know, going to a gig somewhere. Uh, but also, you know, getting off the bus at the end of journeys and saying thank you and gathering dirts and, and, and using that in that way. And certainly that idea of them being patrons, not just of where you pilgrimaged to, but the patrons of pilgrims themselves feels very powerful to me. And that sense of them that we don't pray to them, that we pray like them also feels to me very much like uh, an important necromantic aspect of the, the ancestor uh, cults around them that we, imitate them that we too are on a journey looking for the light that points to majesty of some kind, whatever that is Um, that we too are on a journey in terms of passing from life to death and, 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 and maybe to return, right. The uh, to, 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 to be a bit mystic about it. I find it very interesting that occasionally the Magi or lithographs of the Magi and the star find their ways into uh, or, are, or are venerated in uh, some some houses of Haitian Vodou, right, where they refer to the Simbi uh, and that notion of spirits that have died and then uh, and then died again and, and 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 crossed over again to to become spirits of some kind, and that mass of the idea of not simply working with uh, a saint who is that thing that you are working with the the um, the elevated soul of someone that used to wander around in a human body and is now in theory sat at the right hand of God, right? You're also working or you can also work with uh, an attendant set of, of dead folk who cohere around that point of devotion because they also worshiped like that. And that's, again, that, that sense of like ancestral saint work for me is very important. Not just who am I, what icon am I staring at, but who, what spirits, what, what, what shades do I feel around me who are also facing that direction? Right. And who am I in communion with and who am I sharing that communion with? I love it. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why people use the term spiritual court, right? Yeah. Who who are we all, whose court are we at and who are we all, uh, you know, lining up with in that place and so on. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for making the time today, Al. I really do. Oh, sure. Yeah. No, it's been great. Um, You should uh, definitely check out uh, Al's book. Uh, we have it at the shop. It's available in other places too. And uh, if people want to come and hang out with you on the internet, where where should they go looking for you, Al? Oh, they can find me at my website, which is www.alexandercummins.com. Uh, there's my blogs there. There's a bunch of uh, free lectures. Um, you can book my consultation services through that. You can jump on the mailing lists to hear about gigs I'm doing uh, in 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 wherever it is I am <laughs> touring around a bit more these days, which is, which is lovely to be on the road. Uh, just got back from uh, New Orleans, which was great to see God family there and also to, to do some great, um, great talks. I really enjoyed. Uh, so yeah, um, my website, uh, I also have a, 
an archive of, of, of pre-modern uh, texts, scans of, of texts, uh, grimoires on tape.tumblr.com uh, uh, if people want to check out, you know, any of these texts from 17th century magicians that I've been kind of digging up. Uh, that's, that's certainly something I'm encouraging people to do is, uh, is, is, is do that. Uh, I, I teach courses through my, my good friends, uh, at, uh, Wolf and Goat, um, Jesse and, and Troy, uh, just finished a second run of the, the Geomancy Foundation course that I run and I'll be, um, uh, setting up to do a course introducing humoral theory and approaches to the elements and, uh, and that kind of embodied medical and magical kind of practice stuff, which, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, diviners and people like that will be interested in one of these underlying things for a lot of Western occult philosophy and magical practice that doesn't necessarily get looked at a lot. Uh, yeah. and so, um, well, perhaps something for us to have a further conversation about it at some point. That oh yeah. I'd, I'd love that. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again, Al. And, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Oh, great. No, no, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. So thanks as always for listening. I definitely appreciate everybody who takes the time to tune in to these podcasts and especially those people who send me all sorts of kind words and thoughtful feedback about what we're doing here. Uh, I really appreciate it. If you are inspired by what's going on, please consider supporting us by going to the Patreon link in the show notes and or also by reviewing us on iTunes to help people find us more easily or just sharing this in your social media feed, maybe even with a little sentence as to why people might enjoy it and take the time to listen to it. Thanks for helping spread the word. Thanks for helping make this happen. Thanks for being out there to share all this good stuff with.